Welcome to episode two of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now let's dig into history. Thanks so much for joining me today on Reclaiming the Faith. In episode three, I'm going to be discussing the subjects of how to hear from God and how to make room for Him to speak on both an individual and corporate basis. And like always, I'm going to be doing this from an early Christian perspective, with testimonies from the leaders of our faith during the first three centuries of the church sprinkled in to help frame the conversation. I had originally planned to air a different episode today, an interview that I did with one of my best friends, Tyler Bryan, who is a youth minister in the Pennsylvania area. And the episode is about youth ministry from an early Christian perspective. But considering the dire circumstances that are going on in my town, my city of Houston, uh, we're, you know, we're just experiencing this, uh, this catastrophic flood, a flood that has never happened in the city's history. Um, it is just, it's so bad, y'all. And we need your prayers and your support. So please lift up the city of Houston. It's, it's interesting because um, my pastor, he took a sabbatical during the month of June. And when he came back, he said that he was going to start a series, a new series, at the end of the month of August called Shattered Dreams. And you can just tell that my pastor was hearing from God during that that month of prayer, intense prayer, preparing him to be able to speak to the, you know, these, these shattered dreams that so many people in my community, in my city are, are experiencing right now. How do we deal with that? So I thought it was, it was timely. It was appropriate to push back that interview about youth ministry and instead discuss hearing from God from an early Christian perspective. And if you're blessed by this episode, please follow me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com. Also, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith, where you can also subscribe for free. And if you have any questions or have an early Christian topic that you'd like for me to cover, please feel free to contact me on my website or directly at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. That's E-M-A-I-L-P-H-I-L-S-B-A-K-E-R at gmail.com. Finally, last year, I wrote a book about this journey Jesus and the early Christians have taken me on. It's called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. You can purchase it on Amazon, and again, if it's a blessing to you, please leave me an honest review there. All right, let's jump into episode three. Well, it's been said that the devil has never had an original idea in his life. Basically, what he sees God doing, he tries to imitate in order to deceive. He produces a counterfeit version of the real to lead people astray, and many times, he's quite successful. 
According to Muslims, an angel named Gabriel strangled Muhammad during his sleep and then commanded him to recite the words of scripture given to him from Allah. In his book, The Final Quest, Rick Joyner claims to have had a dream from God where he's told that in the end times, Christians will be fighting against other believers in a great Christian civil war within the church. He states that the Lord is now preparing a leadership that will be willing to fight a spiritual civil war. He predicts that those on his side, called the quote-unquote dreaded champions, will ultimately win this civil war, enabling a leadership group of prophet judges like himself to start governing the entire body of Christ. And Joyner predicts that his side will harm many of the Christians who disagree with him, even though Joyner's side had hoped to recruit these believers instead. And as far as the day of the Lord is concerned, Joyner claims that this Christian civil war is the ultimate conflict, the battle of the last days. And he believes that his side's eventual victory and success in removing all Christian opposition to his side's leadership of the church will be the day of the Lord. Joseph Smith has convinced countless Mormons that in 1820, he was visited by God the Father, known as Elohim, who informed him that all churches were deceived. He then claimed that in 1823, he he received a visit from an angel named Moroni and was told about golden plates which were supposedly written in Reformed Egyptian. Smith boasted to have been blessed with the supernatural ability to translate the plates and eventually produce the Book of Mormon. Well, 2 Chronicles 18.21 demonstrates that there are clearly lying spirits in the world. And these lying spirits are actively seeking to ravage the church and the world. But let's not make the same pendulum-swinging mistake that America's rationalistic forefathers did in downplaying or outright dismissing the supernatural. If evil spirits speak to people in order to persuade them to accept lies, and Satan is the ultimate counterfeiter, then the Holy Spirit is definitely going to be speaking to people to convince them to follow the truth. However, we must be sober-minded about this subject and always first turn to the best source in discerning the voice of God, the God-breathed scriptures. Without question, we need to primarily use the scriptures as our authority in distinguishing truth from error. Now, that being said, these same God-breathed scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit still speaks in various ways today. The scriptures demonstrate that God speaks to us through his creation. He speaks to us through his children. He will speak sometimes to us through angels. He will sometimes speak to us through dreams and visions, and he will sometimes speak to us through gentle promptings of the Holy Spirit. And when he speaks, the Holy Spirit will be leading us to repentance, reminding us of the faith once delivered for all uh, to the church, 
He'll be guiding us into the truth and glorifying Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Cyprian was the Bishop of Carthage in the middle of the 3rd century. He was a man held in very high regard in his day, and he was an eventual martyr for the gospel. He wrote about hearing from God here in 250 AD. He said, Be constant in both prayer and reading. Now speak with God, then let him speak with you. Let him instruct you in his teaching. Let him direct you. So yes, we need to be diligent and disciplined in our study of the scriptures. They will help us discern truth from error. And yes, we need to present our requests to God with thanksgiving and faith. But we also need to take time to listen. We need to believe that if we ask God questions, He will answer. He will guide us. He will speak in a manner that we can understand. So, How would you react if you sensed God's holy voice guiding you, but you didn't see anyone speaking to you? I want to tell you the story of the first time I sensed God speaking clearly to me in an almost audible way. It's actually the inspiration behind the song that plays during the intro to the podcast. And at the end of the episode, I'll play that song in its entirety. So, just before my junior year in high school, I gave my life to Jesus. I wasn't getting any discipleship, though. And soon, I began playing in a band with my brother, who was in his first year at Texas A&M University, and we were playing in bars and... um, not playing Christian stuff in in bars. Well, early one Friday afternoon, he drove down to Houston, Texas in his Chevy S10 Blazer to pick me up for an important gig we would be playing the next day in College Station, uh, Texas. Well, it was a long and crazy weekend. Finally, early Sunday afternoon, we started heading back to Houston. My brother was driving, and our drummer Wally rode shotgun, and I was in the back right seat. Now, you must understand that that little SUV was packed to the gills with sound equipment, instruments, and various stands. There was only room for me to sit in one of the back seats, and only one side had a working seat belt, so I chose the side where I could not buckle up because, well, you know, I thought I was cool like that. Now, just before we got on the highway, my brother said he needed to stop by a friend's house to grab something. So he pulled in front of the house. He said he would just be a minute, and he and Wally went inside. And just then, there in the silence, I heard it, or I felt it, or I sensed it. I don't know. And something like a whisper A voice clearly told me to move all the stuff in the left back seat over to the right side. 
and for me to buckle myself in the left back seat, basically, it called me to repent of my pride and humble myself. Now, that was weird. That was really weird. But at the same time, it also made a lot of sense. And there was nothing in the message that I heard that contradicted what I did know of the scriptures. So I moved all the equipment in the left back seat over to the right, and I buckled myself in the left seat. Now, about 20 minutes later, we were several, several miles down the highway, going about 80 miles per hour in the left-hand lane. Unbeknownst to us, the blazer, it began to drift off the left shoulder and onto the grass median. We were like looking at each other and changing a CD or something like that. Now, I looked up and I realized that we were all about to hit this construction sign over past the, uh, the gravel shoulder and we were now into the grass, basically. And I yelled, watch out! Now, the little blazer swerved hard to the right into a minivan carrying a newborn and it began to flip. Our car did. We flipped over three times across the width of Highway 6 at 80 miles per hour. I remember flying around so fast, yet it was as if everything was happening in slow motion, which is the name of that intro track, Slow Motion. In a state of shock, we carefully climbed our way out of one of the side windows of the vehicle and witnesses of the accident came running up to us asking how we could be alive and if there was anyone still in the car. The blazer was a crumpled pile of garbage and guitars and stands were strewn all across the highway. Yet, we were blessed to escape with only small cuts and like minor concussions. I believe that we were being protected through that crash. However, I also believe that if I had not listened to that still small voice, my life would have turned out much different to say the least. Now because the early Christians read the Bible so seriously and simply, they too believed that God still speaks. Not that God gave new revelation on par with that of Jesus and the apostles, but that God absolutely still does speak. The Martyrdom of Polycarp, a work written about 135 AD, displays this supernatural dynamic quite well. And I'm going to read a portion of that to you as translated by J.B. Lightfoot. Now, the martyrdom of Polycarp centers around uh, this mass persecution, horrific, horrific persecution breaking out around Smyrna, where Polycarp was the bishop. And so it says, When he heard about this, Polycarp was not in the least upset and was happy to stay in the city, 
but eventually he was persuaded to leave. He went to friends in the nearby country, where as usual he spent the whole time, day and night, in prayer for all the people and for the churches throughout the world. And three days before he was arrested, while he was praying, he had a vision of the pillow under his head in flames. And he said prophetically to those who were with him, I will be burned alive. Well, the police and the horsemen came at supper time on the Friday with their usual weapons as if coming out against a robber. And that evening, they found him lying down in the upper room of a cottage. He could have escaped, but he refused, saying, God's will be done. When he heard that they had come, he went down and he spoke with them. They were amazed at his age and his steadfastness. And some of them said, Why did we go to so much trouble to capture a man like this? And immediately, Polycarp called for food and drink to be brought to them. And he asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted. And they agreed. And so he stood and prayed so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. The men were astounded, and many of them regretted coming to arrest such a godly and venerable old man. And when he had finished praying, they put him on a donkey, and they took him to the city. Now as Polycarp was being taken into the arena, A voice came to him from heaven. It said, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. Now I'm going to interrupt right there. This is not necessarily telling Polycarp to act manly. It's telling Polycarp to act like Jesus. Now back to the story. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp, and upon hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, saying, Have respect for your old age, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent, and say, Down with the atheists. The Romans called Christians atheists because they wouldn't worship their gods. It's just a side note. Okay, back again. But Polycarp Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitudes in the stadium and gesturing toward them, he said, down with the atheists. The proconsul said, reproach Christ and I will set you free. But Polycarp declared, for 86 years I have served him and he has done No wrong to me. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? But the proconsul said, I have wild animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. So call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn to what is evil. The proconsul said, 
If you despise the animals, then I will have you burned. And Polycarp replied, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. So why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. And when the pile was ready, Polycarp took off his outer garments, undid his belt, and tried to take off his sandals. But when they went to fix him with nails, he said, Hey, leave me as I am. For he that gives me strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle. I will be without the help of your nails. So they simply bound him with his hands behind him like a distinguished ram chosen from a great flock for sacrifice. And then the fire was lit, and the flame blazed furiously. But we, who were privileged to have witnessed it, saw a great miracle And this is why we have been preserved to tell this story. The fire shaped itself into the form of an ark, like the sail of a ship when filled with the wind, and formed a circle around the the body of the martyr. Eventually, when those wicked men saw that his body would not be consumed by the fire, They commanded an executioner to pierce him with a dagger. And when he did this, such a great quantity of blood flowed that the fire was extinguished. Now, did you notice the role that intentional prayer played in paving the way for Polycarp to be ready to hear God speak and ready to faithfully follow those words? It's just amazing, wasn't it? Now, that was an individual experience, but let's think about how Christians can experience the voice of God in their corporate gatherings. So a couple of years ago, a house church I was leading decided to have a service where the majority of time would be free for the Holy Spirit to move spontaneously. Now, this was a scary proposition. But it felt like the direction God was leading us. Admittedly, though, a part of me felt like I was being led like a lamb to slaughter. I could hear the possible complaints. You really believe God called you, our pastor, not to plan anything? Really? For an hour and a half? So basically, either God would move or things would turn south quickly. Well, the day before the service, my wife, Stephanie, began to experience excruciating back pain. Like, on a pain scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, she was an 8 to a 9. And I thought about praying for her that night, but then I got this sensation that uh, I needed to wait, and my decision to wait earned me a night in the doghouse. The next morning, though, after a brief devotional, um, as we gathered as a church, we spent time in groups seeking God's direction for the rest of the gathering. And afterwards, afterwards, um, one of our elders suggested that we all come around two particular men 
and ask the Lord to help them be bolder in praying out loud. So we did. And after about 10 minutes or so of praying, we began to pray for other needs and other people. But we just kept on standing and praying together. It was, it was awesome. And that went on for probably 30 to 45 minutes. And then I felt led to uh, let the group know about Stephanie's back issue, which she was trying to hide from everyone. You know, she's tough like her father in that way. So I called her forward and then I asked the two men if they would pray out loud for God to heal Stephanie. I said they didn't need to pray in a complicated way, just five to ten seconds and very simply, but I did ask that they not pray for doctors to heal Stephanie, but just that Jesus would heal her. And they both prayed very simple, beautiful, compassionate prayers. And praise God, Stephanie's back pain immediately went from like an eight or a nine to a one. So like the first time we hear these guys pray out loud in a, you know, a Christian gathering, they see God do a miracle. And later that day, her back pain was completely gone. It went down to a zero, you know, praise God, praise God. So let me encourage you. God doesn't just want to use pastors to pray. In fact, I would venture to say God likes using non-pastors, non-leaders more than pastors and leaders to do great things for his kingdom. But ultimately, God just wants to use anyone who is honestly and humbly making themselves available for him. So, after all those stories... Here's the question. Are we making ourselves available for God to speak? Are we giving God room to speak to us during our private devotions and throughout our days? Also, are we designing our church gatherings in a way that also give God room to speak to us? And if not, what are we afraid would happen if we did make the changes necessary to create such an environment? What do we believe people need more of? Our voices or God's voice? If we are willing to move away from comfort and routine, if we are willing to take risks and make ourselves available to Him, we will experience God. And that is what we need. That is what changes lives. Our spiritual enemy, the devil, is deceiving billions of people and leading them astray. They need to hear God speak. They need to experience God. So, may you be strong and courageous and take the uncomfortable risks to make room for God to speak to you and through you. And as you do, 
may you see him move in incredible ways to bring changes and radical transformation to people's lives for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. God bless you. Should have been dead Cause there's no luck involved in no